Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Amen. Acts chapter number 11 and verse number 22 starting. The Bible says, Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch, who when he came had seen the grace of God, was glad, and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. And much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. When he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. This morning, I just want to teach today, if you'll allow me to, Barnabas the mentor. Barnabas the mentor. We all need a Barnabas in our life, but we all also need to exemplify uh, the life of Barnabas in our lives. Amen. Lord Jesus, I come to you today. I'm grateful. Lord, we stand here, Lord Jesus, this morning. We're just grateful, Lord, for your Lord's spirit, Lord's songs that have been, Lord, sung here today. I pray, oh, Lord, that you're able to help us in our minds, God, that you're able to give us the strength that we need, Lord Jesus, to do, Lord Jesus, the work that you would have us to do, Lord, this morning. God bless your people and strengthen them, Lord, through and by your word, and we'll thank you for it and appreciate you, Jesus, for it. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen and amen. Everybody say amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. I love the name of Jesus. Barnabas, Barnabas, the, the mentor. Um, Barnabas makes his debut in Scripture, and it's not like he's riding on a donkey and there's a big crowd of people in this big season of celebration, but he just kind of meanders his way into the Scripture. As a matter of fact, we read of him called by a different name before he was ever given the title Barnabas. The Bible speaks of him in Acts 4 and verse 36. This is a time in which men and women were selling their homes and their goods for the purpose of having the monetary, the, the, the wealth, the shekels, whatever it was they got in, in, in turn to give to their brothers and their sisters that lacked and so it's in this time that Barnabas makes his debut as Joseph by his actual name. And he makes his debut. And I, I, from, from what I learned from the story of Barnabas is this, is what Barnabas does in this debut of selling also his goods and selling his land and bringing in the, the money and setting it at the feet of the apostles what I learned from his whole life is this, is that Barnabas wasn't just riding the horse that was to ride at the moment. You know how things go. Uh, you know, a few people are doing things and then other people, they're jumping on the moment because everybody else is doing it. But I don't believe that was the mentality of the Barnabas that I'm speaking of today. I believe his motive was pure. 
His intent was pure. He just wasn't doing this because everybody else was doing it. He was doing it because I believe this is a, a little ray of hope of the type of character, the person that he was. And I think scripture bears that out. And so he does that. He sells the land that he has, brings it to the feet of the apostles and lays it there for them to use according as they seem fit for the brethren or the other people that were involved in the work of the Lord. And so his name is Joseph by birth. Bible says that he is a, a Levite, which is kind of special within itself. Coming from the line of the, the Levitical priest, he would have a certain level, if he wanted to, uh, of clout and respectability among the people because he was the tribe of Levi. But we never see in Scripture that he was using his heritage or his birth to his advantage, so to speak didn't take advantage of people because he was a man of renown through his heritage. And so I think that's a very remarkable uh, trait of Barnabas. But more than anything, I think it's important what those that knew him called him. His, his natural name was Joseph, but the Bible says in Acts 4 and 36 that the apostles surnamed him Barnabas with reason because his name would mean Son of consolation or son of help. Now, I have friends that may have nicknames for me, but they're anything but son of consolation. I guarantee you right now. Uh, and some of you probably have the same. Some friends, they call you some things that uh, maybe you would rather other people not know that they call you. Uh, and maybe it's to some little private joke or something that you have among yourselves. But for Barnabas, the apostles bestowed upon him a name called Barnabas because he was a son of consolation. And they thought that, that that better described who he was perhaps than his own name described him. And so this, this, this Barnabas that we're speaking of today, they called him that because of his character. He was a son of encouragement, a son of consolation. With that being said, Barnabas was always looking for, it seemed like, a project. And I'm not talking about a literal project where he wanted to build a house or build a fence line, but he's seen projects in people. He was always looking for a project, somebody that everybody else gave up on or were fearful of or there was dissension between them and somebody else. Barnabas always looked for the project and was the one that came around them, aside them, helped give them some strength, the encouragement that, that doesn't have to identify you. He was an encourager. He was a consoler. And so the first mention that we have of him is right here in Scripture. But the Bible says somewhere along the line in the Scripture setting that I read to you, somewhere along the line that Barnabas was commissioned to go to Antioch. And whenever he went to Antioch, he was to go there and he was to uh, build, if you will, and establish a work there. And there are some other traits of Barnabas that I think are noteworthy found in verse 24 of Acts 11. The Bible says, for he was a good man. Now you say, well, Pastor McGee, I mean, what, what big deal? He's a good man. Well, good men are being harder today to find. And so even in his day, to have a good man was something that was very, very well spoken of him not because of his birth, because of who and what he was, his character. It also says he was full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. Yeah. Amen. Everybody say full. full. 
full of the Holy Ghost. You know, that is a trait that the early apostles oftentimes wanted from the people that was going to be serving with them or working for them. In Acts chapter number 6, whenever the Bible says that the Grecians were being kind of skipped over in the ministration of the daily ministration, that they looked out some people uh, with certain characters that they could attend to these things to make sure that they weren't skipped out. One of the characteristics that they looked for was that they would be people full of the Holy Ghost. As a matter of fact, the word full in New Testament Scripture, oftentimes whenever it's paired with the Holy Ghost, isn't just talking about, you know, like a cup up here. It's talking about being controlled by, being controlled by the Holy Ghost. So Barnabas was a man that was controlled by the Holy Ghost. But you know what's so amazing about Barnabas and his experience with the Holy Ghost? His Holy Ghost was not, was not an ending place for him. His Holy Ghost was the starting place for him. Amen. The Holy Ghost wasn't like the end of the journey. The Holy Ghost was the start of his journey because we would see the way that he would handle himself that there were other things that bore testament to him being full and controlled by the Holy Ghost, him being that encourager and that helper and that supporter of those that were in need. And so I think it's important for us, not only do we need a Barnabas in our life, but we need to be a Barnabas in somebody else's life, that we need the characterization that we are full or, if you will, controlled by the Holy Ghost. That we see receiving the Spirit of God is not an ending point for our life. It is something to aspire to. It's something to receive, yes, but that's not where it ends. In reality, that's where it really all begins. The Bible tells us in Galatians 5, speaking of the love, joy, peace, meekness, gentleness, long-suffering, goodness, all these things are fruits of the Spirit. And so whenever I receive the Holy Ghost, it's not an ending place because blossoming from that are all these other characteristics, amen, that not only help me but are allowed to evolve in my life so I can help. Everybody say help. Help someone else. And so he's full of the Holy Ghost. Amen. And no doubt, being full of the Holy Ghost helped him also to be a helper of others. Barnabas's name comes from a Greek word which basically means uh, comforter. Whenever you read in John 14 that the Lord said, I'm going to send the Holy Ghost, the comforter, exact same word which means this, that someone, it would be someone that would come alongside you. And so that describes Barnabas very well. Barnabas was that person. He found, this is interesting, that he found and was the one to help and support Saul, who was made Paul in Acts chapter number 9. Saul, who was a persecutor of the Christians, he, he went against the churches, anybody that was preaching the name of Christ, He was finding them and putting them in prison and shackles and bonds, many times even killing them uh, for the sake of doing these things. And the Bible says after Saul had his conversion that Saul went unto the apostles at Jerusalem telling them, my life's been changed, I'm a new man, I got a new leash on life. And they're there scratching their heads. The only thing they can see is this persecutor, this one that's caused blood to run in the streets type of individual. And so they're a little apprehensive about allowing him in. And the Bible even states these words in Acts 9 and verse number 26, that when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples. But look at this. They were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. So if... If, if, if the apostle Paul's start 
was with the majority of the disciples at Jerusalem said, you're not even welcome in this circle. But he's been baptized by the Holy Ghost just like they. They've been baptized in Jesus' name just like they. Had a transformed life, but they're saying, you have no, you have no part here. You, you, we believe not that you are a disciple. And it's in that type of contention that in walks Barnabas. Amen. And Barnabas walks in there and he takes the apostle Paul under his wing when nobody else is giving him a chance. Nobody else is accepting him. Barnabas comes on the scene, the son of consolation. That, that could have been, you know, Barnabas could have lost some friends over that. He's an apostle and a disciple, if you will, like these others. They're not willing to take him, but Barnabas is. I, could you imagine? Uh, could you imagine the talk that happened around the table of the disciples concerning old Barney. <laughs> Could you imagine? Now just think about today. Could you imagine the talk that would happen around the table of the disciples? We said no. We don't even believe his disciple. And here he is befriending him and taking him under his wing. Was everybody going to? He's associating himself with this man. I know there would be talk going on. As a matter of fact, it just, just here in the past few days, and, and this is nothing, this is nothing really, I suppose, but I, I was pondering, Bishop, and, and I was thinking about all the conversations that we have with one another. This, just, this is kind of maybe a side note. But all the conversations that we have with one another, you know, sometimes people talk about weather, sometimes sports, so on and so forth. But you know what I found in talks, and just sometimes just being as a bystander and hearing people talk, you know what we talk more about than anything else? People. I'm serious. People. And I'm not necessarily saying you bashing, but just general conversation is about people. And if we didn't have people to talk about, we'd not have a lot of conversations. Now, not all conversations about people are good either. And I'm thinking to myself, I wonder what type of conversations they were having around the disciples whenever Barnabas befriended, befriended Saul, a man that they thought, you know what, he's not going to be. I, I believe not that he's a disciple. Although the Lord has done the work, and I believe not he's been a disciple. But Barnabas takes him under his arm and takes him of all means to Antioch with him. The Bible says Barnabas is at Antioch and then he goes, seeks out this Saul of Tarsus and takes him to Antioch with him. And they're there for a period of time, for about a year or so. And, and they're, they're ministering to a church there. They're teaching the people. And no doubt while Barnabas is teaching the people, there's some instruction that's taking place in Saul's life as well. Now, we say, no big deal, Brother McGee. No, it is a big deal because we need mentors in our life. The reason being, when we look at the Apostle Paul, we always look at the end of the Apostle Paul. We look at, at him and all the great works of taking the gospel to the Gentiles, and we look at him uh, being the one that wrote about two-thirds of our New Testament scripture and all of the wisdom that we can get from that. And we look at him and his three different missionaries' journeys and establishing churches and places they were never established before, and we applaud all that, but the question we must ask ourselves is this. What would have happened concerning that had Paul not a Barnabas in his life. Hmm? We have all these glorious scriptures we read about and a man that was willing to be incarcerated and spent a lot of his latter years in prison, incarceration, writing and pinning words to help note now, to help, if you look at the epistles, they're not only words of instruction, they are words of encouragement for those churches. What would have been the outcome of all that had he not 
a Barnabas in his life. Because the, only, the other disciples were only willing to finally accept Paul on, if you will, the recommendation of Barnabas. Amen. And so we, we, we got to be careful in today's church. We got to be careful in today's church. Because there could be one or two or whoever. There could be some among us that others may discount. But what they really need is a Barnabas. A mentor that will come alongside them. Put their arm around them. Even when they're deemed somewhat unacceptable by others. Because you never know your time doing that. What may come of their lives. In the future. Amen. And so we, we, we need to consider that. It's great to have a Barnabas and to be a Barnabas in the lives of people because Barnabas saw something in Paul that everybody else was overlooking. Amen. And if you know, there's something that happened between the mentor and the mentee, the teacher and the teacher. When you first read of Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas' name always comes first. Barnabas and Paul. You read the scripture. As you continue reading, and Barnabas has been instructing Paul and mentoring Paul in the do's and the don'ts and how to conduct himself and how to deal with people. Somewhere along the way, you'll start to read that it's flipped. No longer is it Barnabas and Paul, but it's Paul and Barnabas. Because what has happened is what every teacher and mentor wants to happen. And that is for their student to supersede them where they're at. See, along the journey was Barnabas and Paul because Barnabas was being the leader. He was being the guide. But somewhere along the way, Paul took the forefront and he did just exactly. Barnabas says, I'm just an encourager. I'm just a helper. And so he brought him to a level where he became the leader. And for that matter, we know more about Paul than we do about Barnabas, but we would know nothing about Paul had it not been for Barnabas. And so we need mentors in our life, but likewise, we need to be, everybody say, be. Be a mentor. And the reason why I say that this morning is because we see it played out in the scriptures. Barnabas was a mentor to Paul, but look who Paul took under his wing. Boy, by the name of Timothy, who has a Gentile father. No, no, no encouragement if you will on that side yes a good grandmother yes a good mother but no no father figure concerning spiritual things gentile father so paul finds this young man pours his life unto him teaches him and we see then he becomes a mentor to Timothy. And then what does Paul even tell Timothy whenever Timothy starts to pastor his own church in Ephesus? He tells, he tells Timothy, he says, Timothy, he says, everything that you've heard of me, everything that I've taught you, he says, you need to do the same. Find yourself some faithful men, he said, faithful men. And he said, so that they might be able to teach others also. You know what he's saying? He's saying, we got this thing started all the way at Barnabas. Barnabas was a mentor to me, and now I've been a mentor to you, but it's not to stop there. You gotta be a mentor to somebody else. This thing has to continue. You need a mentor, but you also need to be a mentor. Yes. The Lord Jesus Christ did not take the whole multitude and invest all of himself in the multitudes. He invested all of himself in 12 ragtag men, some fishermen, some tax collectors, some this, some that. But he took 12 out of the multitudes. 
It's those 12 that you find him sleeping next side to under trees and walking along the shores of Galilee and he would be doing all these various things with and what he was doing was being a mentor unto the 12. And he poured his life's work in three and a half years into those 12. And before he ever left, he commissioned them to go and to teach. What he's telling them is this, I've mentored you. Now it's important that you go mentor somebody else. And so this thing that we call the New Testament church, amen, that we are attached to back, back in 30 and 33 AD, all the way back there, is because men and women took a mentorship program, if you will. They were mentored at one time, but then turned around and became the mentorer and passed it from generation to generation to generation. But in order to do so, there needs to be characterization. We need to be good men and women, and we need to be full of the Holy Ghost. Can someone say Amen. Was it just that he expected his disciples to heal and deliver and, and do all these other things, but he wanted them to go and to teach because that was going to reach the entire body of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's other people in scriptures that become mentors. Elijah was a mentor to Elisha. Mm -hmm. A passing on of a mantle of ministry, of miracles and prophecy. Yet that happened because someone took the time to mentor him. When we look in scripture, we look... Mary, this time of year, people look at Mary, blessed is the woman, you know, who's carried the Christ child in her womb. But you know what? In reality, Mary was mentored by Elizabeth because these are two ladies that had not had children. They both were spoken by some supernatural means that they were going to have a child. Elizabeth was just about a six months ahead of Mary and she went to visit her cousin, amen, and speak to her. And you know what happened that time, I believe, is how do you contend with something that's been supernaturally spoken that's gonna happen in your life? Elizabeth became a mentor to Mary. Aquila and Priscilla, the Bible speaks of in Acts 18, that they became mentors to Apollos. Apollos had a certain element of the gospel and he taught it with everything that was within him. And after Aquila and Priscilla heard him speak, the Bible says they kind of took him aside and they explained it to him more perfectly, more perfectly. They said, you're doing good, but let us just help you with a few points here how you can do a little better. We all need a mentor. Because without a mentor, Apollos would just be saying, what he knew and no further concerning the truths of God's word. After his, after his little mentorship program with Aquila and Priscilla, now he was going to be able to speak the whole entirety, if you will, the counsel of God more greatly, with more definite, with more accurately than what he had before because he had a mentor in his life. Amen. Someone say amen. amen. We need mentors in our lives, leaders, if you will. So the apostles gave him that that new name. Another characterization, if you will, of, of Barnabas was that he was full of faith. Let me tell you, in order to help a man that was a crucifier of Christians, you got to be full of something. <laughs> I don't know. There was some type of godly trust that he had in his life. For that matter, he sold his land and gave the money. There's a sense of faith. There's a sense of godly trust that he has in his life. But you know what's greatly important about Barnabas is that he had the trust of the people. Mm -hmm. He had the trust of the people. He could be noted as trustworthy. And that, a lot of times, as you know, trust is not something that just comes in your right pocket when you're born. It's something that's earned. 
Trust is earned. And so what they learned concerning Barnabas was this. Barnabas can stay faithful and he can also disagree at the same time. That's what those disciples were concerning Paul. He disagreed with them concerning Paul. But he was able to be faithful to the task at hand and still disagree at the same time. Amen. Not only that, he did the same with a man by the name of John Mark. The Bible describes that John Mark was with uh, the Apostle Paul and, and Barnabas, for that matter. They were on a missionary trip somewhere along the way. We don't have a whole lot of information about it. But when they were getting ready to go to another place, John Mark just went back home rather than go with them. Well, whenever the rubber met the road, that didn't settle too good with Paul. He kind of got a little burden to saddle over it. But Barnabas, he just kind of passed it off as maybe somebody that needed more instruction. And so whenever they were ready to go, uh, Barnabas says, hey, why don't we take John Mark with us? Paul says, no, you remember what he did to us last time? He left us out there cold. And it was at that point, the Bible says, that there was a splitting between the apostle Paul and Barnabas. And that Barnabas took John Mark and that the apostle Paul took Silas. And so there's a little disagreement again. But you know what? Under the umbrella of Barnabas, the son of consolation, the helper, the mentor, he has John Mark under his wing. We don't, we don't get all the ins and outs of the story of what happened, what they did, so on and so forth. We don't know anything. But what we do know is later in the book of Timothy, when Paul is in prison, he says, whenever you come, he says, bring John Mark with you because he's profitable to me for the gospel. Paul, what's happened? Years ago, Whenever Barnabas saying, let's take John Mark, you're saying, no. Hey, he left us before. He could leave us again. And now you're saying, you're, 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 you're pleading. Bring John Mark with you because he's profitable to the, what's changed? I'll tell you what's changed. A mentor in his life. A Barnabas in his life. Somewhere between that time and later whenever Paul's in prison, Barnabas had enough time of having his arm around him, helping that young man, instructing him, showing him, teaching him that he made a man that before Paul said don't want anything to do with, he made a man that Paul said that before, that now he's saying he's profitable to me, profitable to the kingdom. Bring him. Why? Because he's been in the hand of a mentor. He's been in the hands of John, uh, 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 Barnabas, a son of consolation and encourager. Amen. We need those. I've seen people in my life, really, I've batted an eye concerning ministry thinking, my goodness, I just don't know if they're going to make it or not. And find that person have an interim, if you will, at a church under the wing of a pastor and come from there maybe six months later being a total different individual as it would be. And the only difference is they had somebody that they would allow to speak into their life. And so with that, I'll say this. We need mentors. But we need also to allow mentors to speak into our lives. It's hard to speak into a life of an individual that's already got this whole thing figured out and sealed up. It's hard to teach when you don't have a teachable spirit to teach to. Amen. And so it's not just about needing a mentor, but it's about putting ourselves in position, allow someone to speak into our life. We need authorities that can speak into our life. And what that does is this. At times they'll say, you're doing a great job here, but you need some improvement over here. 
Now, we'll readily accept when they say you're doing a great job here, but are a little difficult to receive whenever they say, but you need some improvement over here. Well, you got to understand that person in your life is not trying to do you wrong. They're trying to help you, educate you further, further you along in the process. I guarantee you any apprenticeship program that they have in this world, little Joe Blow just doesn't enter into it and just do everything right, and there's never a word spoken about, hey, you need, a, you, know, you need to watch that. Brother Fred, if you took someone to the shop today and start teaching them how to paint, I guarantee you're not going to step back and say, man, that was great, wonderful job. You lying if you were. I'm sure there would be a lot to be said about what needed helped and corrected and so on and so forth and it wouldn't just happen overnight huh but it's going to be a process so see, yeah i had a mentor one time we met for lunch and i tell you what it takes more than that whenever i was a, a young man and uh, i was still in college they they had a mentorship program uh, for people that they thought uh, was was we were we were uh, whatever, on a dean's list or whatever, and so they set us up with mentors. And so uh, in Evansville, I remember going downtown. We went to one of the tall buildings down there. It seemed like one of the banks went to the top floor, and it was our first time to meet our mentor. And uh, I won't forget it, just young man, and they yoked me up with a, a man that was a, a chemical engineer, brilliant guy. Man, he was brilliant. And, and his, his, his responsibility was to just help guide me and instruct me about what classes I needed to take. And he took me to different firms around in the city of Evansville and, and got me to meet with different people that otherwise I would never met had it not been for the mentor. Now, I probably just made him feel like, <laughs> probably made him feel like uh, he did his job horribly whenever I quit college. But uh, nevertheless, <laughs> that probably would not have been his advisement. Uh, but nevertheless, we needed mentors. Those people are to help guide and help instruct. And what they sometimes do is uncover things that we do not see ahead of us. Uh, even in my life today, there are mentors that I hold in my life. There, is, there are certain pastors, and I've told you before, that I want to bring into my life that I call on some issues sometimes that I'm scratching my head. I just need that reinforcement of someone saying that's right or that's wrong. That's the thing. Whoever it is, got to give them the power to say no. And, and if I can, in many regards, sometimes as a pastor, I try to serve as a mentor to a body but you'll know whether or not you are serving as that when you see how they respond to the no you speak in their life but pastor mark johnson said one time he said he said i'll tell you the difference between the people i preach to and the people i pastor he says it's all based upon how they accept when i say no to them whether i'm their preacher or their pastor having the mentor mentoring life and so and so barnabas was that he he he, he had experience and because of that experience listen he had to have patience boy he had to have patience i guess if you're praying for patience that means you might be coming a mentor <laughs> you're gonna have to have patience when you deal with people and they're not exactly where they need to be but you're trying to help them to get where they need to be you're going to have to have have patience amen and so when we consider when we consider these things, if we notice, notice what happens. Whenever he, whenever he left that profitable work at Antioch and he went to Jerusalem, things are in turmoil at Jerusalem. The reason why 
is because Paul's there. <laughs> you know, it's bad. But things are in turmoil at Jerusalem. If you, if you remember, they had to let Paul down in a basket over the wall so that he could escape because him being there had brought a lot of danger. Man, there was a lot of turmoil and everything coming up because Paul was there and the only thing people could remember is what he was rather than what he was becoming. And with all of that, Look at Barnabas. He knows that all this is happening because of that man being in the city and people's responses to him. And he says, well, I'll take you. I'll take you to Antioch. Well, wow, you know, you know, just bring trouble with you, you know, to Antioch. But he says, I'm going to bring you there because there's some undeveloped, unknown potential in you that I believe we can get outside of you. Amen. And so that was the mentality of Barnabas. So if you're looking for a project today, listen. That's the reason why in the New Testament, the Bible says that it is the elderly women that should be the teachers, as it were, to the younger women, to teach them how to be uh, good women at home, uh-huh, and, and to keep the home and to be proper with the children. What is that? That is a mentor-mentee program. There, elderly ladies, let me tell you something. You, you, you will do a world of good when you go up to new mothers, and I, I know some in particular, I could call them by name that have done this, go up to two new mothers and you compliment them or encourage them about how they are doing with their children and, and how they're managing their child. I, Sister McGee and I have had those people in our life, and you know what? That's just like a, a breath of fresh air to a young mom to hear, you know, some elderly saint that had, you know, 13 kids or whatever, you know, come up to them and, and tell them about how well they're doing. Why, that, that's the reason, that's the way God networked the church to have that. We need that. But we also, just on the same token, he talked talked about to the elderly men, how they're to be instructors of the young men. What is that? That is a mentor-mentee program that's needed within the church. Honey, they, they got big sister, big, big sister, big brother programs in the world. When we need to have some type of program like that, amen, maybe not official title, but in the church that the elder can somehow be a guide and instructor to the younger. Because they're not, as still yet a young man, they're not a bunch of old kooks. They don't know anything. They lived life. They've suffered the school of hard knocks. They've had kids. They've suffered loss. They've went through some very traumatic times. Even maybe some will never go in in this place. And so it doesn't take it. There's nothing wrong with just bending an ear and listening to what they have to say. You never know. You just might learn something. I went to the hospital room uh, Friday night to visit Sister Nadine. And I walked in there, and she's there in the room by herself. No one was there that day. And uh, so I went in there and uh, just talked to her, just talked to her, trying to get the scoop on everything that was going on uh, with her body and with her life and what was all on the schedule upcoming. And, and she said, you know, Brother McGee, she says, if they, if they say that this is cancer, I'm not doing anything for it. I'm... 80, I don't remember how old she said, 83 years old. She says, I've lived a good, long life. She says, I'm not worried about that. She says, you know, the only thing, she says, the only thing that I wish, she says, I think, she says, I lived a good, long life. She says, wild at times. You'd have to know her younger years to understand how wild. You, some of you would really be amazed, actually. But she said, wild at times. And in those younger years, they did a lot of traveling to Egypt and different foreign countries and lands. She says, you know what? The only thing I just, I just, 
regret. She says, I just wish I knew God earlier. And I thought, what type of good I could have done in some of those foreign lands whenever I was there and going those places. I'm sure, Sister Nathan. And she says, I miss church so much. I said, I know you do. I said, but let me tell you, something different from you, from some other people. I said, you're laying here with no regret because you was there whenever you could be there. You're laying here with no regrets because you was always there when you could be there and drove probably about the furthest distance of anybody over the past several years to get to church and be in the house of the Lord. And so as I listened to that, just a young man listening to all of that, you know what was going on? Some mentoring. Yeah, some mentoring. Those words that she was spoken of what she had wished or what all the, you know, that, you know, was telling me that was telling me how, how much I need to savor the house of God. Telling me how much I need to savor having come to the Lord at a young age of eight years old. How, how there was teaching going on in that moment that I could apply to my own life. And you know what that allows me to do then to take that and share it this morning or share it with my children and so on and so forth. Let, let me tell you, there is no greater mentor than finding an old white head or gray head saint and sitting down and listening to the story of their life. We were there. She couldn't talk very much. Folks, she can't hardly whisper. She's, Brother McGee, this is how she's talking. She says, honey, I can't talk a lot. I said, I don't care. Don't mind talking. I just be here. And uh, we prayed together probably two or three times while I was there. I just sat in there on her bed there for the longest time and uh, praying, and she was starting to have pain there along the way, and we was praying. I just sat there in that chair and had that hand in my hand, wrinkled from years. But I held a hand. Bishop, I could hear over there whispering her prayer. Her prayer, her prayer was not being determined about where she was right now, but concerning everything that her God had done for her in life. And so as I was praying, I'm also listening, Sister Craig. And in that moment of just hearing that old saint pray, I was being taught something, being taught something that even in the moment that maybe Monday could come, there's a biopsy and it is cancerous. You know what she's saying? She's, she's over there, God, I trust you. God, this is all in your hands. I, I'm hearing her say these words. God, I trust you. God, all this is in your hands. Whatever happens, Lord, it's up to you. Let me tell you, that is a moment of a mentor and a mentee right there. I just, we, we, we just sat there. Nobody else in the room. The door's closed. We're just speaking in tongues. We're telling God how good he is. Hallelujah. And there's just something going on. There's a lesson being taught you know what it told me? It's told me I'm 38 years old or going to be 38. You can make it. You can do it. I held her hand. Here's a lady that's come to church without any, any husband support for years. Years. But she's there. She's there when it's snowing. She's there whenever, not knowing these later times, maybe not, but whenever she is a little bit more surprised, she would be there regardless. She's teaching something. Teaching something. All those years, here's a lady full of the Holy Ghost. Full of the Holy Ghost. She came many times with heart, heart problems, amen, that she thought pain going on, come up for prayer, go down, and said, we wonder sometimes how she ever made it home. 
could even call and check on her. Did you make it? Call us whenever you get there. Amen. She's teaching something. We all need a mentor in our life, but we need to allow those people to speak into our life. Man, allow those people to speak. And I, I need to shut up this morning because I know the hour is going long. But, but Paul understood. Paul understood what had been given to him in the life of Barnabas was a gift. What had been given to him in the life of Barnabas was a gift. I think John Mark, when it was all said and done, understood the gift that was given to him in the life of Barnabas. When everybody else was turning their heads and their shoulders away from them, here was a man that was a man of consolation, a man that was an encourager, and said, why don't you just allow me to help you along the way? He's a good man. He's a faithful man. He's a Holy Ghost filled, full, the Holy Ghost man that was able to help them along the way. Amen. We need those people. Can I say we have those type of people around here? We have those type of people around here. Amen. You need to just bend their ear every once in a while. Allow them to speak into your life, but turn around then and speak into somebody else's life. Because I guarantee you there's somebody out here we, I think we mis, misjudge circumstances sometimes. We misjudge circumstances. We see like some of those things would have deemed Paul or John Mark as a lost cause. When in reality, all they needed was a mentor. We write them off rather than sign them up. When in reality, they just need a mentor. If you'll stand with me this morning. I didn't really mean to take that long. I'm sorry. We bow our heads in this place. Lord Jesus, I come to you today. God, thank you, Lord Jesus, for the people that we have around us in our lives. God, that have served in that capacity for our lives to be teachers and educators to us, Lord, in our walk and relationship with God. Lord, help me, God, to never think I have this thing so sewn up. God, that someone can't speak into my life. Lord, and help God give me direction. A word of encouragement or instruction. God, I pray, oh, Lord, today, help me, God, not to be prideful. Help me, oh, Lord Jesus, to be meek and lowly, God, ready to receive, God, what they may have to say, because they may have already spent many days up on this earth. Lord, an experience has been a grand teacher to them, and I want to, Lord, help learn. God, as well. I pray, oh, God, minister, Lord, to our elders. Lord, in these years of their life, God, that they could just be pouring themselves the lives, Lord, of the children, grandchildren, Lord, and even people sitting in this place. We need their voices. We need their voices and their experience. God, not just by what we can observe by their lives, but what we can learn, God, by their voice speaking into our lives. Help us, God, to grant that. Help us, Lord Jesus, to invite that. Hallelujah, Jesus. Let him speak into our lives today. There is still a lot of living, God, going before us, and there's going to come some things crop up. There's going to come some things crop up. Lord, if I could just have, just have the, the words, God, of the elders before me to lean on. God, if, 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 if I could just have the words of them. God, if Rehoboam had just listened to the words of the elders, perhaps the nation of Israel would have never split into two kingdoms if he had just listened to the words of his elders, if he had allowed the voice of a mentor to speak in their life. We need it. Folks, listen to me today, and I'm coming here to a close. We consider, we consider King David 
going to the house of Obed-Edom, getting the ark of God, going to bring it back to Jerusalem where it rightfully should have been. He goes, you know the story, many of you. He took a new cart, places the ark on the cart, high on Uzzah, drive the cart. They're doing the best they can, get the ark of the covenant back to Jerusalem. Hits a place of a threshing floor, it shakes, Uzzah puts out his hand, dies. David feels as though that the Lord is very displeased with him because of all this. They kind of just leave, leave the ark, leave the ark. David's regrouping. People might want to put a heavy finger on David. David, what were you thinking? What are you doing? Handling the presence of God like this, bringing it to Jerusalem as such. What are you doing? Let me tell you something this morning, what I believe. The Bible says that in the days of Saul, David's predecessor, that he never inquired about the ark of the Lord. You know what I believe the breakdown was in that whole scenario of a new cart? It was this. David didn't have a mentor in his life of the previous generation to tell him, this is how you handle the presence of the Lord. This is how you approach it. This is how you carry it. This is how you transport it. So don't be too hard on David. What we see, I think, in that episode is one of the pitfalls of not having a mentor in your life. Hallelujah. Let's pray right now one more time. These altars are... Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.